All right, have a seat. Somewhere around you, you should have one of these scripture memory cards, the size of a business card. And uh, I wanted everybody to have one of these because there are just some times in our life that we need to really focus on a particular verse of scripture. And I think this is one of those passages for you to focus on, to memorize. Let me encourage you that the only way I know to print these as a business card except to buy the stock and do it at home is to get 250 of them. So uh, we have some extras, all right? (laughs) And uh, the boxes back there, I would encourage you to take a few and tape them around your house. Uh, If you're a parent, take it and go over it with your children. It's a great memory verse. It's a great place for you to focus. So this morning, as we talk about making room for God to work in our hearts and to move in power, let's focus on this text. I think some of you know, even from the testimony I just tried to give you, that God has put missions and the mission of God in my heart and in KK's heart. And it really started when we went on a trip down to the border of Texas and Mexico, and we saw people living in tremendous poverty with incredible need, and God opened our hearts to realize that most of the people of the world don't have what we have, and most of the people of the world look at America and think of it like Disneyland, that we all have all of these things and we have all this opportunity. So first God put missions in our heart by showing us the need. But then that flame was fanned in our hearts when we started hearing stories of how God works around the world. We were fortunate enough to meet a man named Bill Hogue. Bill, after having been vice president of evangelism for the North American Mission Board. At that time, it was the Home Mission Board. Bill went to California and became the leader of California Baptist, but he traveled around the world, and he knew so many missionaries. And so every year at the Southern Baptist Convention, KK and I would look for, we called him Daddy Bill. And we would bump into him, and we would hug, and we would find a place to sit, and we would say, Bill, Tell us another story. And he would tell stories of how God was working around the world. More than once I heard a story like this, that missionaries went into a tribe that had never really seen that many outsiders. They sat down and they told them the stories of the Bible moving from creation to Christ. And when they came to Christ and they shared the story of how Christ died And they paralleled it back to the picture of the Old Testament of how a lamb would be sacrificed and how Christ became the sacrifice, the Passover lamb for us when he died. And the tribe would sit there and listen intently. And then as they told the story of the crucifixion, just a desperate sigh fell over the people. And then they decided not to leave them hanging but to move on and tell the rest of the story that Christ was raised from the dead and to watch the celebration that would take place. But then a hush, a quiet conviction would come over the people 
when they realized they had sinned and they needed a savior. And often the story would be told how someone would stand to their feet and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. What do I do to tell others that he lives in my life? And to watch at times the whole tribe come to Christ and all of them be baptized and let the elders be baptized first and let them help baptize the others. And the story of the gospel moving just would make KK and I walk away from talking to Daddy Bill and often we would say or think something like this. I always thought that God was like that. I always suspected that he could do so much more than we've seen him do in our American churches. A few years ago, we gathered a group of pastors from around the nation, different ethnicity, different generations. And we talked about what's it going to take to see the power of God moving in the United States. And as we talked about it, we one day, having told the story of the Jesus movement that took place back in the turn of the 70s and how we'd seen so many people come to Christ in America and there'd been such a moving of God's spirit that just was unexplainable. And I stopped at a restaurant with one of the young pastors in the airport and he said to me, Al, I hear you and those of your generation talk about a spiritual awakening. Can you tell me what that is? What does that look like? And I said to him, Keith, it looks like what's happening on your college campuses there in the Northwest where all of a sudden college students are beginning to wake up and say, I want to be a follower of Christ. And it's happening continuously, but it's not happening in our churches. And so those of us who've seen it happen in another generation long for it to happen in this generation at this time. This morning, I want us to look at this text and I want us to think, I've always thought that God could do more. I've always expected that God could move in a different way. And I find myself longing for it in the depth of my heart. Paul, in his writing, had just talked about his longing for them to know Christ and his love and for Christ to settle down and be at home in their hearts. And then he turns it. I looked at the little connector in the original text trying to figure out what he does. It, it has some sense of summary, but it has some sense of destiny when he says, now, take the little card. I really believe that you can memorize these two verses in the next few minutes. I, I think it's so easy as you see it unpack and you watch it unfold. Now, to him, you'll notice that, that, uh, I'm old school when it comes to capitalization. I have trouble referring to God in a personal pronoun without capitalizing it. 
I, I can't go with modern translations. And so I took the ESV and I fixed it for you, okay? And, and I put the capital H so you would know to whom the pronoun is referring. Now to him. There's a direction in this prayer. It's like a benediction. It's like a summary. And he says, now to him. Let me ask you about the direction of your life. This morning you may be in a, a catastrophic state where you're facing something so overwhelming and you need to turn your heart Godward. But you know, for most of us, it's not catastrophe. It's complacency that makes us have to realize we need to be turning our heart Godward. Now to him. Is that the direction of your life? Or do you just squeeze in little commercials for God? Is it the direction of your life where you're living continuously aware of his presence, longing for his presence, looking for his presence, expecting him to work? Is there an expectation to your life where you can say now to him? The prayer that we have for this church is that we would be a people gathering when we come together and we would say, oh God, would you move in my heart? Would you move in our hearts? Would you move like the stories of old that we would see you drawing people to personal faith and deepening our understanding of your presence now to him? To memorize it, you probably ought to be repeating it back with me. Let's, so let's say that together. Now to him. You see the direction that we're moving our lives Godward. Now to him who is able. Say that out loud with me, would you? Now to him who is able. When you look at the word able, do you think I am not able? When you look at the word able, do you think about abilities? Let's talk for a moment about abilities. We could watch a little kid. We could put a baseball on a stand. We could let the little kid hit the, hit the ball and run around the bases, maybe even the wrong way, all right? And we would say, isn't that cute? But then we could watch a professional player step up in San Francisco at their park and hit the ball, and it goes so far that it goes out of the stadium into the ocean, different ability some have the ability to fly an airplane I don't some have the ability to do surgery you don't want these hands doing surgery all right so there is a certain sense of us recognizing some who are able and some who are not when you think about your abilities there most of them are God-given abilities and you can develop those God-given abilities but there's certain things you just can't develop because you are not able it is not in your ability to do so. Some are short. Some are tall. Someone that is short in stature is not able to add an inch except by standing up straight and having better posture. All right? There's nothing they can do. They are not able to make themselves taller. Now, some are skinny and some are fat, and the analogy breaks down. There is something we can do. But let's be, let's be candid even there. There's certain body styles that God has given us and certain metabolisms that God has given us. And no matter what you do, you are not able to be skinny or 
to be fat, all right? Good news, right? Okay, you're, you're wired by God. But now to him who is able. This morning, I don't know what you would like to change, but have you ever said, you know, I'm just not able to do that? As Paul is trying to wrap up this whole section in this one prayer, he says, let's move the direction of our life Godward and let's see that he is able. But what does it say that he is able? I can't even say it because I'm going to give it away. All right, can't finish my sentence. Now to him who is able to do. Say that with me. Now to him who is able to do. Not only is he, does he have the ability, but he has the capacity to do something about it. That word is so fascinating to me because it speaks of formation. It speaks of creation. It, it speaks of God who looked at the world and it was not and he spoke and the world came into being. He did something about it. And this is the same creator of God that looked at his creation in his lost state. And he planned to do something about it. What did he do? He sent his only begotten son. He sent his one unique, one of a kind son. And he who knew no sin paid for sin and became sin for us. He is the one who is able to do. So what's the direction of the text? Now to him. What is the doing of the text? He is the one who is capable to do it. Now to him who is able to do. But let's look at the dimensions. Look at that next part. What is he able to do? Far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Let's read the text together just down to that point. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. It's so much fun to me to watch the times that God moved on Paul to try to describe something. And he was basically saying, this is not describable. But let me try. Let me try to put this into words. God is able to do far more abundantly. Where else have we heard that word? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. God has the ability to do far more than we could ever possibly ask. What do you want to ask God to do this morning? Is he able to do something about it? The scripture says that he is able to do more than you could even ask or think. How far can you think? Sitting on a plane, a young lady beside me, she looked over and said, what's that you're reading? And we started talking and she felt, felt called to try to help build libraries around the country there in Africa so that children can learn to read. We talked about what happens when you read and that old idea that you can open a book and you can go almost everywhere 
just by reading and imagining what you're reading, to go to a different time, to go to a different place. This morning, whatever we could ask, whatever we could think, God is able to do far more abundantly than anything our minds could ever comprehend, anything we could ever ask, anything we could ever think, that is the dimension. So let's read it together again. Now to him who is able, some of you weren't ready and didn't know I really meant it. All right, I do mean it, okay? Read it with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's the dimension. But what's the dynamic? According to the power that is at work within us. What is the power at work within you? Well, if you, if you had your Bibles open, I've told you just to look at the card, <laughs> but if you had your Bibles open and looked back a few verses that Johnny has addressed with you, that the Father, according to the riches of his glory, wants to strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. So here's the question this morning. He says, according to the power at work within us, is there a power at work within you? I can't answer that for you. I can look on the outside and even see people sing and go through the motions but in their heart they know I've got the words but I don't have the music. I'll never forget the day that the big guy walked into my office. He was six, four, or five. His wife was my administrative assistant so it was pretty easy for him to get an appointment with me. He came walking in. He'd just been at work. He was a full bird officer in the Navy. He came in and sat down in my office and he said, Pastor, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I said, but Ernie, <laughs> come on, man. You've been a leader in the church. So many times people have looked to you. I've even seen you in the evangelism training. I mean, you know how to explain the gospel to somebody else. He said, yeah, I know, but it's just the words. I don't have the music in my heart. And he said, probably nobody knows it except Terry. That's his wife. He said, I'm sure she knows. I'm sure she knows that I really don't know Christ. I said, well, Ernie, if you know how and you could explain the gospel, then why did you come to me? It's not like I'm some kind of priest that I can do something special for you. He said, no, but I just keep hearing God speak to me when you open the Bible on Sunday. And I just felt like I wanted you to be there when I prayed the prayer. He even said, you don't even have to tell me what to pray. <laughs> he said, I know what people are supposed to pray when they put their trust in Jesus. And it was so special to watch that big 200 and a bunch of pounds guy roll out of the seat, get down on his knees in my office 
and put his trust in Christ. And when he got up, he said, you know what this means? I said, what? He said, you need to baptize me. I said, Ernie, I'll look forward to that, but you're pretty big. So we're going to have to talk about what it's going to take me to get you under the water. You're going to have to move over to this side and bend your knees as as I lay you down so that I can get you down all the way without hitting your head on the steps. The power that is at work within us. Let me ask you this morning, do you have the power of God at work in you? Oh, maybe you're not letting him work very much. Maybe you've tried to relegate him to a corner. Maybe you're not really letting him live his life through you. But is he even there? Paul just described it when he said, I pray that you may understand what it means that Christ is dwelling in your inner being by the Holy Spirit. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. I was telling KK on this trip, I woke up one morning and I was trying to figure out what time it was and I could tell that the sun was trying to come up outside the window. So I walked over and I I realized that there was no power in the room. Lights wouldn't come on clock wasn't working and so I walked over and I opened the door and I looked to the left and there was no power in the hallway and I looked to the right and down in the distance I could see some light so I walked out of my room and I walked down the hall and fortunately as I walked into the other section of the building there was power and that's where the elevator was and I was glad because it was a long way from the seventh floor, okay? So I made my way down the elevator and I walked up to the receptionist desk and there were other people standing there. Some looked almost like in their pajamas, you know, and they were saying, what's going on? The power's not working. What's wrong with our floor? And she said, well, it's just one floor and it's just one section of one floor and it's because somebody plugged in something that didn't belong in that outlet. If you've gone overseas, you've seen the difference in 220 and 110 and what happens if you plug in the wrong thing. And they said, we've tried to flip it back, but we're going to have to go door to door, room by room to get somebody to unplug it because every time we flip it, it still won't work. And I thought, now unto him who is able to do far abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power at work in us There's a certain electrical current required for you to really plug your soul into a desire to see God work. And this morning, I wonder, is this power even living in you? And if so, I believe for many of you, if not most of you, he is. But are you directing your life to him to be able to say, I'm looking to you because you're the only one able to do that's far more exceeding, far above, abundantly beyond what I could even ask or think. And this power that's at work in me makes me yearn to see your power work through me. This power at work in me makes me yearn to see your power work among us. And look where it goes. That's the dynamics that then moves to an incredible declaration. To him be 
the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Do you find that interesting? That it doesn't say to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and the church? To me, it's, I'm wondering why that order, and I don't have an answer, except I do really believe and understand, according to the scripture, we are the body of Christ. Jesus told his disciples, he said, it's to your advantage that I go back to heaven, because when I do, you'll find that I'm with you always. And they were going, we don't get that. I mean, we're not going to be able to see you, but you say it's going to be better for us that we don't see you? How is it better for us today that Jesus is raised from the dead and is not physically standing in this room? How is that better? The only way I can describe it is he says, I'm going to send my spirit to live in you, and you'll know I'm with you always. So when you leave here today, you don't leave Jesus in this room when you leave here today, you don't leave the understanding that Christ is in you and giving you the hope of glory. But when you leave here today, one thing you do leave is you, you leave the sense of being with other believers in the body of Christ. So let me ask you, are you willing to join us in a prayer that God would do far more abundantly beyond what we can even ask or imagine in this local fellowship, this local body of Christ called the Shallowford Church. You know, I hear some people say, I really like coming because it's so small. And I think, yeah, okay, you can get a parking place. I get that. And yeah, you can come and people can know your name. And for some people, that scares them to death to have to come in a place where everybody knows that they're there or not. But what do you dream and what do you long for in this church called Shalford? I've looked at the plot of ground. You may not realize, but the part over here that we see as our land is only half of our land. The other half is in the trees behind us that goes down into some land that would take a lot of work if you tried to use it for much. But we've looked at this property and we've said, what should the master plan be? How many people could we hold on this property? What would happen? Well, we could never be a big church like Central Campus of Woodstock or Johnson Ferry down the road. But could we have as much kingdom influence and impact as some of those bigger places? I think so. Because when people come to Christ and when people grow in Christ and when disciples are made and then disciples are multiplied and then people are sent, the measure of a church's influence is not how many they seat, but how many they send. How many they empower to become disciple makers to move out with the gospel. I have no problem praying this prayer for you. And for the hundreds that ought to be joining you. And by God's grace will one day join you. And if you don't want the church to grow and get large. Then you're going to be uncomfortable. All right. Because we're praying this prayer. He is able to do exceedingly far beyond all we could ever ask or think. 
Why? Because he deserves glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. What does it mean that he deserves glory? In the Old Testament, the glory of God seems to be his revealed presence. But it's more than just God revealing his presence. Because somehow the scripture says we're to give him glory. I don't get that. I, I know he's not lacking in anything. There's not that I have to give him something that he needs. But here's how the psalmist said it. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. What does that mean? It means that we recognize his presence. We acknowledge his presence. And as we recognize his presence, we long for that presence to be filled in us and around us. And through that recognition, we see the reputation of his name. When God talks about giving the glory to him, He's contrasting what it means for us to try to build a reputation of our own. What kind of reputation do you have? Oh, I hope you have a good name. I hope people respect you. I hope you're living in a Christ-like manner wherever you go as a representative of Christ. But think about God's reputation. who he is and what he's done and what he's able to do. And when God reveals his glory and his people recognize his glory and they respond to his glory, then they give him the credit by recognizing his reputation of who he is. That's why Paul would pray, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than I could ask or think to him according to the power that is at work within me to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus but don't miss this last part to all generations We have parents and grandparents in the room. We have different generations in the room. I find myself at a loss to describe generations. I, I don't know generation X, Y, Z, you know, millennials. I get confused in all the way they're described and they're grouped. But here's one thing we try to express when we even name and letter and call generations. We're saying, here's a group, and here's a group, and here's another group, and they have these things in common. The way they dress, what they think is cool, about their own music, <laughs> and you start to describe the generations as they move. But in the scripture, acknowledging generations is not to cause division Acknowledging the generations is to cause the unity of one being able to speak of God's reputation and another receiving it and responding to who God is. 
And I think I can safely say to the younger generations in this room and the younger generations down these halls, we long for every generation to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to become his disciple, and to know how to disciple others. And to live with a sense of destiny that there is a power working within them. And that God is demonstrating his ability to do far abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. According to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and the people of God said amen would you pray it with me now would you bow your heads and long for it with me now together can our hearts cry oh God we look to you and we know that you are able And in your ability, you're willing to do something that we need. So we come to you in complacency and we come to you in catastrophe. We come to you in desperation and pray, Oh Lord, would you be pleased to move among us, to move through us. We look to you knowing that you are able to do far more than I could even ask or think. So would you move in me in that power that indwells me? And would you help me to recognize and reveal your glory in the church, giving honor to Christ Jesus from generation to generation and forever and forever. Amen. Would you look this way? In the great spiritual awakenings in our land and throughout the world, there's a very distinct pattern of how it works. God seems to sweep in in the presence of believers and call them to a hunger to know him more. And as they confess their sin and as they cry out to him and he begins to move, they go from that place to another and they just tell the story. We were together and God showed up. We were talking and praying and God just really began to move and just the repeating of the story brings conviction and awareness and it begins to ripple out that's our prayer for Shallowford is that we would be so captured by his presence when we sing about him and when we read his word that we would leave this place and watch him move
in our neighborhoods, where we work, and where we go to school. So with great hunger in your heart, would you stand and let's sing a closing prayer about the love of God and our desire to know Him and to follow Him.